morning, everybody. Hey, let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for that great cloud of witnesses, those men and women who, over 2,000 years, have lived their lives in faithfulness to you, who shined your light in their time and in their place to be an inspiration to others. May that same thing be true of us. May that same light of Christ shine through us for this time and for this place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So when I was a junior in high school, I went out for the cross-country team, not because I wanted to run cross-country, but because I wanted to get in shape for wrestling. Thought this would be a good way to uh, get into shape. I also probably had in the back of my mind this image of cross-country that was informed by the movie Chariots of Fire. Remember the movie? It starts out with these young studs running on a beach in slow motion with that Vangelis, Vangelis song in the background. You know, I'm running on the beach in slow motion. It was nothing like that. Cross country was hard. It was grueling. There was, you know, these endless miles of running in the heat of the, you know, late August, early September, and um, hills and sprints, and ah, it was brutal. One of the things I did discover, though, is that no matter how grueling the practice was, the last run that we would do, um, wherever the finish line was, when I saw the finish line, I always had a kick. So I, you know, be exhausted and barely breathing and so forth, but when I knew it was over and I saw that finish line, man, I had this kick at the end that was, that was, I mean, it was epic. <laughs> it was not that great, but it felt epic. So the first uh, regional uh, race I was in, that was about 10 other high schools, so about 100 runners or so, and uh, the the course started at an open field. It was a long and wide field. In fact, it was so wide that all hundred of us were lined up on the line shoulder to shoulder, basically. And you would run about 300 yards down this field, and then it bottlenecked into a path that would wind through this woods. And the path was only wide enough where maybe three runners could run side by side. So it really bottlenecked really quickly. So I thought, you know, the only way I'm going to get any um, traction in this, have any chance of finishing in the top 20. I had no illusions of finishing in the top three or anything like that. Top 20 was kind of a goal. The only way that's going to happen is if I take off really fast, run that 300 yards, get onto that path, so I'm somewhere in the top 25 of these runners. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck in this herd, in the pack, and it's going to be hard to maneuver and so forth. So that was my strategy. So the, you know, start gun goes off, all of these runners take off, I'm running full out, and, uh, and get to that path, and I'm right about where I wanted to be. I was somewhere in the top 20, 25 runners, 
entering onto that path going through the woods. What I hadn't planned on in that strategy was just how bad I was going to feel after sprinting 300 yards. Now, sprinting, you know, that's my version of sprinting, but anyway, it was, I, was, I couldn't catch my breath, my heart was pounding, my legs felt like rubber, and I just, at the end of that 300 yard, I just wanted to quit right there. But I kept running, and I'm gasping for air, and I'm trying to, you know, get my heart back into some kind of rhythm. Guys are passing me, and, um, but, you know, I keep running. Get through that first mile, and I'm, my heart rate has kind of gotten a little more under control. I'm breathing a little bit better. Not a lot better, but I'm a little bit better. I still want to quit, um, but I, I keep running. You know, guys are passing me. I get to the final leg, right? We come out of this path, out of the woods. We're back to the field. We're now heading to the finish line. And I am back into chariots of fire. <laughs> Meaning, I'm running in slow motion. No music, just me wanting to throw up and... <laughs> there may have been 10 guys behind me, I don't know. Barely made it across the line. I learned a very important life lesson that day. A strong ending is better than a strong beginning. A strong ending is better than a strong beginning. We're in this end of the series where we've talk, been talking about what counts. What are the things that really matter for a person, for a community that is living out faith? And we've been looking at the letters of Paul to Timothy to find out what those things are. And the last thing as we end up this series is... What counts is a strong ending. What counts is a strong ending. So in writing this letter, the second letter that Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, he writes this toward the end of that letter. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now there is a prize that awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Powerful words of Paul at the end of his life, knowing that he is soon to be executed because of his faith in Christ. And he says, in effect, I've left it all on the field. I've got nothing left. I gave it all. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept these are such powerful words about a life powerfully lived. Paul could have said, you know, it's not fair. What's happening to me is not fair. I've served 
Christ my, since I've met him. I've done everything that he asked me to do. I've suffered for it. It's not fair. It's not right. But that's not what he says. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I read the scripture at funerals of men and women who I know have lived faithful lives. And every time I read these words at a funeral of someone who I know, live this out, it chokes me up. Because as I'm reading those words, I'm thinking about their life and how these words are true of them. They fought the fight. They finished the race. They kept the faith. And their lives are an inspiration to us all. So what about you? Is it your desire, is it your intention to finish strong? Now here's the problem. We don't know when the finish is, right? So yeah, I'd like to finish wrong, uh, strong. Could you give me an idea? When is the finish so I'll be strong like two weeks? We don't know when the end is coming. What Dr. King talked about was one of the things he said in, in that speech that was so powerful. You know, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But then went on and quickly said, but that doesn't matter to me now because I've seen the promised land. He was going to finish the race strong. He had no idea that the very next day his life would end. We don't know. Every once in a while, though, we get a reminder. You know, we kind of live our lives. We don't want to think about when we're going to die. That's not a way to live, right? Thinking every day about when am I going to die. We all know it's true. Like, I mean, you get that, right? You know that the death rate is still 100%. Right? Anybody confused about that? Right? We all know that's going to going to be. But, you know, we all imagine, no matter where we are in our life, we all imagine we've got, you know, time ahead. But sometimes we get these little reminders that that may be shorter than you think. When I was in my 30s, my wife, Marilyn, was diagnosed with cancer. And through that treatment series, at one point, we almost lost her. And it just brought the reality of our mortality to light. I like that. The reality of our mortality. That was good. Just because you're in your 30s doesn't mean you've got many decades left to live. You don't know that. When I was in my mid-40s, I ended up with blood clots, one in my leg and one in my lung. And the doctors made it very clear to me that this is a very serious condition and could be fatal. So laying in a hospital for two weeks, thinking about my mortality. 
As many of you know, uh, back in December, my family was in a serious car accident. It's December 28th. I did not wake up on December 28th and think this could be my last day. But the way the day ended, I thought that could have been my last day. So finishing strong is not about knowing your end date and going, all right, you know, a couple of months before the end, I'm going to really get it, going to do a sprint. It's about living your life today in a meaningful way. That's what we have today, 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 today. How you live today will determine whether you finish strong. So with that in mind, I want to go back. So the scripture that we just read talked about fighting the good fight and finishing the race and keeping the faith. Just before that, in verse 5, he gives these instructions to Timothy. Listen to what he wrote. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid to suffer for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that you've been given. He gives him four instructions. And in essence says, this is what you should be doing, Timothy. This is what I've been doing. And because of that, he's now able to finish strong. Four things he said you should be doing. The first is to keep a clear mind. Keep a clear mind. Another way that those words of Paul could be interpreted was to be calm and collected in every situation. Be calm and collected in every situation. Are you calm and collected in every situation? Yeah, one honest guy over here. I think that meant no. Right? That's easy to say, keep calm and collected in every situation. But here's what Paul is saying, that anxiety, fear, worry will rob you, deplete you of your life and will cause you to make less than good honoring, God-honoring decisions. When worry and fear are ruling in us instead of a clear or calm mind, we end up making bad decisions. Because worry means that I am out somewhere thinking about what if, what could happen, what might come, and I'm allowing the anxiety of what could possibly happen to rule my today. At Ash Wednesday service that we just had uh, this past Wednesday, I was talking about what people are giving up for Lent. And um, you won't know what the top five things this year, according to you know the internet, so it's got to be true. <laughs> top five things that people are giving up in this country for Lent, number one is chocolate. Number two is meat. Number three is alcohol. Number four is social media. Number five is swearing. I don't know what that... I, 
all right, you've got a problem. Anyway, um, so the first three are about physical health, right? If you eat too much chocolate, too much meat, too much alcohol, you know, it has physical consequences, so it's about physical health. Social media, if you're spending all your time on that stuff, it's affecting your mental health. And so, you know, to give it up is a good thing for your mental health. So I asked the question, what could we give up that would be good for our spiritual health? Worry. Worry. Paul is saying, keep a clear mind. Be calm and collected in every situation so that you can make wise decisions today. In another letter that Paul wrote to another church in Philippi, Paul wrote these words, Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Rather than investing in worry that is going to not serve you well, instead, turn that stuff that concerns you over to God through prayer and petition, and be thankful. So even as you're giving your worries to God, that in your mind as you pray, you're remembering, you're thinking about those things that are blessings in your life right now. And you'll experience a deep peace that will protect your mind and your heart. Paul says you want to finish strong? Have clear thinking, have a clear mind in every situation. The second thing he says is to be willing to suffer for the Lord. Be willing to suffer for the Lord. If you were here last week, we were talking about passion. One of the things that counts is passion. And I shared with you last week how the English word passion comes from a Latin word. What I didn't say is that that Latin word comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is pathos which literally means to suffer. Passion means a willingness to suffer, that you are so committed, that you are so devoted to whatever it is that you're willing to suffer for it. Paul says, be willing, Timothy, to suffer for Christ. Now, I don't know how that translates in your life or in our lives in this country. Unlike Timothy and the church of the first century where they were being hunted down and arrested and tortured and often executed because of their faith, that sounded like one thing. For us in the U.S., chances are you're not going to be hunted down, arrested, jailed, tortured, or executed because of your faith in Jesus. So do we have to suffer for our faith? Perhaps in different ways. I was talking to a guy years ago who um, he had a business deal that came his way and it was going to be very lucrative for his company. Um, and in the paperwork he had to fill out, there was an affidavit where he had to um, basically uh, promise or swear about something about himself that he knew wasn't true. He knew it wasn't true. He also knew that nobody would check 
but he was a man of great faith in Christ. And he wrestled with it because he knew it was going to cost him something to not sign that affidavit. Ultimately, that's what he decided, not to do that. His company didn't get that deal. It cost him money. He invested in his character. He invested in his character. Did he suffer for Christ? Maybe. Because he was more committed to that than to a business deal. So clear mind, a willingness to suffer. The third thing that Paul says for Timothy to do today is to tell people the good news. Tell people the good news. Tell them about your faith. This one is probably the scariest one of all, right? Yeah, I'm willing to suffer, but I'm not willing to do that. Why? Well, you know, I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm not a preacher. I don't want to be in somebody's business. I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't, you know, want to be like, Jeff, I don't want your job. <laughs> There's a couple uh, I was talking to uh, here a couple of weeks ago. They've been coming for a few years. I've watched their faith just ignite over these uh, last several years. It's been fun to watch uh, this husband and wife as their faith has just uh, grown and expanded. And um, so they were sharing with me how, you know, they're genuinely excited about their faith and they are talking about it with family members and friends and are surprised by how um, resistant people are to hearing about it, to talking about it, to even having a conversation about this. Like, they can't figure out why, why can't we even just talk about it? We're not telling you to believe it. We're just telling you what we're experiencing and so forth. Why, why is this a problem? But what I love about this couple is that they're doing it with just such pure heart, you know, this winsome spirit. This is our experience. That's all we're called to do. We're not responsible for people's reactions. We're not responsible for people's decisions. We're simply responsible for sharing that good news, the things that you're learning as your faith is growing. And as you do that, your character grows. Your faith deepens. You're going to finish strong. And then the last thing Paul says is use the gift that God's given you to do your ministry. Use the gift that God's given you. Every one of us have gifts that God's given us, hardwired into your life. How are you using your God-given gift to bless the lives of others, both within the community of faith, within the church, and beyond? God gave you the gift not for you to hide it away, not for you to use for your own uh, advantage, but to use it to bless the lives of others. As we do that with our spiritual gifts, as we use our gifts for others, they're blessed. And ultimately, you get a blessing as well. And so that's what Paul is saying. Live your life in this way. As you do these things, Timothy, today, 
because you don't know if you have tomorrow. As you do them today, you're investing in your character. You're investing in your faith. You're going to finish strong. Pretty good stuff, huh? This is what counts. Living your life today in ways that matter, in ways that make a difference. These are the things that count, and these are the things that ensure that you'll finish strong. Now, Timothy, as far as we know, Timothy lived his whole life in faith. We know from uh, the letter that Timothy's grandma and mom were followers of Jesus. Timothy grew up in that household. At some point early in his life, he uh, accepted Jesus. Early as a young boy or uh, in his early uh, development years, uh, he uh, was introduced to Paul. He became a, um, a mentee of Paul. Paul was a mentor to him, and that continued on all the way to the point of Paul's death. Then we kind of lose track of Timothy, so we don't know the end of his story, but it's easy to conjecture that he finished strong, that he continued to live out his faith all the way until he finished his race. Some people have that experience. You were born into a home where faith was a part of it. You were raised in that faith. You made it your own at some point, and you continue in that faith. Not perfectly, but you've continued in that faith all along. And yay for you. That's awesome. Continue on. Keep going. Finish strong. But that's not everybody's experience, right? That's not everybody's experience. Some people have a fast start and then at some point run out of steam, run off the rails, walk away from the faith. Sort of like my, my experience of that run, right? Fast start, but bad ending. Paul writes about one of these guys in that fourth chapter, in uh, verse 10, this is what Paul says. For, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So this guy Demas, you know, at some point he came to a faith. He must have grown in that faith. So this guy was off to a big start, off to a big um, you know, exciting faith. People were probably excited about him. He worked his way into Paul's inner circle, but then got distracted, decided the things of the earth are much more appealing than this life of faith. And so he walked away. So don't be surprised if you know people like that. People who have, you knew as people of faith, maybe you watched their faith and you, you thought that they were, had a deep faith and so forth, and then you find out or you experience that they no longer have a faith. That's not surprising. It's been happening for 2,000 years. They didn't finish strong. 
Then there's another kind of person. I call these the comeback kid. And again, Paul wrote about the comeback kid kind of person in chapter 4, verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, that doesn't, if you don't know the backstory, that may not sound like much. But the backstory is that Mark was a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Um, Paul saw this young Mark, was excited by him, invited him to go on one of his missionary journeys. And while they were um, on this journey sharing about Christ, Mark bailed. Right? Mark, whatever happened... He got scared or he got distracted. Whatever it was, he bailed. He bailed on the mission. He bailed on the faith. And he went his separate way. But then a guy named Barnabas came alongside Mark. And encouraged him and spoke with him and worked with him. And eventually Mark came back to his faith. And Barnabas went to Paul and said, Mark's back. I want to take him on this next missionary journey. And Paul's response was, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. No way. No way is this guy going to go with me on this. He, he bailed the last time. He can't be trusted. And Barnabas said, no, we got to take him. And they had such a big dispute that Barnabas and Paul went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark with him. So here Paul is at the end of his life, and who does he want Timothy to bring with him? Mark, because he's helpful to me in my minute. Come back, kid. You know that Jesus loves prodigals. People who abandon the faith for whatever reason, for a period of time, but then come back, back into the fold, back to Christ. Love those stories. Love to see when that happens. Have seen it on more times than I can count. Those people then get to finish strong. Then there's one last category of folk. Um, these are the folks who um, had no faith throughout most of their life. You know, a good part of their life, they maybe didn't grow up in a church, or if they did, they never uh, accepted it, never believed it, um, went on about their lives, living uh, their lives on their, on their own terms. But somewhere late in life came to faith in Christ. And those are great stories as well. Reminds me of a good friend of mine. This is a guy who, that was his story. He lived life on his own terms for the first four decades of his life and did quite well. He did a lot of damage too, but he did quite well, at least on outward appearances. His business life was, he was so successful that he was making plans to retire and be financially secure at 50. That was his plan. But then his marriage fell apart. And that broken relationship caused him to begin to look around at the landscape of his life 
and he realized his life was a mess. He was devastated. He didn't know what to do. He, he found his way here. And I met him the first time he showed up, and he was sitting in the back there, and I just went over to talk to him, and he began to tell his story and began to weep. So I took him back in my office, and we spent some time talking, and then we got together on a regular basis for a while, talking about his life, talking about faith, and at some point along the way, he decided to ask Jesus to become the leader in the leader of his life and the forgiver of his sin. And I watched as his faith grew and blossomed. He became a man of regular prayer. He got interested in the Bible. He got really interested in the Bible. And uh, he became the Bible guy, you know, like he was telling all these guys, you ought to read the Bible. Let me help you read the Bible. Like, when did you become that guy? And then he began to serve. As a mentor first to high school boys, went on some mission trips, started a small group. Powerful. How his life turned around. His real life, his whole life. I was with him in the hospital when the doctor came in and told him that he had multiple myeloma and watched over the next several years as that disease progressed in him. He was physically weakened, but his spirit was increasingly strong. It was an amazing thing to watch. The last time I talked to him was in the hospital. I'd come to serve him communion. He was having a good day that day. And uh, so he was sitting up. And as I was setting up the communion uh, elements on the tray at his bed, I asked, so how are you doing? And he said, you know, I, I've never asked the question, why me? I know where I'm going. I'm fine. And about a week later, he passed. When he gave his life to Christ at 41 years old, he had no idea that his life would be ending at 55 years old. But that time that he spent between his early 40s and his mid-50s was the most significant time of his life. He lived each day for Christ. And he finished strong. That's what counts. That's what counts. The decisions that we make today, the way that we choose to live our lives today, will determine if we finish strong. My prayer for you and my prayer for us is that we'll, we will be a people who live our lives following Christ and that as he forms our character, 
that our lives make a difference and we finish strong. Let's stand for closing prayer. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you for the example of Timothy. Thank you for the example of Mark. Thank you for the example of Martin Luther King. Thank you for the example of Angelo. Men and women who followed you, who put their trust in you, who live for you on a day-to-day -day basis, and whose lives have made a difference. May that be said of each of us as well. For we pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week.